Hey everyone, back again. Today I want to talk about Gayatri Spivak's criticism of Deleuze and Foucault, and also Guattari, but doesn't really get mentioned. Because everyone forgets about Guattari, but before jumping into it, hi, I'm David. I try to explain philosophical concepts and ideas and ways to make them accessible to you. So if you're new here, you can see I have 300 some episodes already up. You can like, share, subscribe, and see episodes I release every single week, sometimes twice a week. You can follow me on Instagram at theory underscore and underscore uh, philosophy. If you found this in podcast form, you're going to be able to find the video on YouTube if you're into that. If you found this on YouTube, you're going to be able to find just the audio on pretty much any podcast platform all under the same names. So go do all those things. You can help me monetarily via Patreon or PayPal, but no pressure to do that. Liking, sharing, subscribing really does the trick. Now, this is an interesting thing I looked into. Now, I've covered Spivak's Can the Subaltern Speak in its entirety on this channel as well, and you can go find the episode I did on that. And in that episode, I recounted how Spivak criticizes Foucault and Deleuze. And I approached that with my understanding of Foucault and Deleuze from their own works, which I've covered a number of their texts on these, this channel that you can go and see if, you, if you'd like. But I hadn't realized that she's actually really drawing from a single interview. She does draw upon their other works as well, but really there's a central interview or conversation between Foucault and Deleuze that she's picking from, which presents some problems as far as her approach goes, and I'm not going to get into the weeds of it, but to put it really simply, it doesn't fully account for the entire breadth of their projects and really the nuance that they lend to their projects within all of their other works. In any case, I didn't know this, this conversation existed. So in a few weeks, I'm actually going to cover that conversation between Foucault and Deleuze in, an, in, in another episode, and that's going to usher in the series I'm doing on Foucault's lectures at the Collège de France. So you can look forward to that. So you should subscribe, and then you can see it every, when it comes out. Now, as far as the criticism goes, Spivak is concerned with the way in which Foucault and Deleuze uncritically use the discourse of heterogeneity, of subjectivity, to understand the way the power operates. Now, they do this differently in their works, uh, and it could take, I could go through each one of them and explain how they're different, but that would take a while. Instead, how they are the same and what Spivak is picking up on is that subjectivity is something that is largely constructed in the eye of power in order to render people more productive, more efficient, more operational within a specific social, cultural, economic paradigm. So there were different forms of power, different institutions of power that were put together or that operationalized a certain discursive regime to render people as instrumental as they can possibly be for the functioning of that institution. So in the case of like the army, which is something Foucault writes about a little bit, it sought to implement a very coded regiment into its operations in order to make the people within it as docile as possible to make them the best kinds of warriors and fighters that they could be. Now, this struck at their core by limiting the ability for possible transgression, making and 
they were able to do this, or these institutions were able to do this, by repeatedly making people do the same thing over and over and over again, and to convince in them that the punishment that they might face if they did not comply with the orders that were given to them were going to be greater than the possible harms that might be inflicted on the battlefield. So all of this worked to create this kind of subjectivity, these kinds of subjects that were going to be ripe for control, for docility, so that they can be best used. Now that does comply more broadly with Foucault's work. Now in the case of Deleuze, he on the other hand is more concerned with the way that subjectivity is not a unitary thing. Rather, every single subject is comprised of what he and Guattari might call multiplicities. There are many different parts to us. There are many different parts to the, to the power that is imposed against us. Now, what power tries to do is it tries to reduce subjects to very manageable forms. So this sounds like Foucault. It tries to reduce these multiplicities to manageable, total, homogenous categories. And Deleuze's response to this, Anguitari, by advocating for identifying the ways in which that humans are multiplicitous. We are comprised of many different drives, desires, beliefs that essentially make up who we are. Now Spivak is concerned here because in both of these considerations, there's no real attention given to ideology. And she isn't totally clear in how she's positioning herself in relation to ideology and how she imagines ideology here. But what we can glean from her criticism is that hers is somewhat in line with the Althusserian notion, and I say somewhat with a big asterisk, with the Althusserian notion of ideology that works specifically to normalize, and also Gramsci is relevant here, to normalize capitalist modes of production and the relations found within this economy, within the capitalist economy. So ideology serves a very specific function in rendering people docile in a lot of cases, rendering them productive for this very big economic enterprise, economic structure that has come to command every single part of our lives. Now under this system, within ideology, and we can hear Zizek screaming in the background, but it's not important to go into him too much. What we can hear, what we can hear within ideology are false beliefs being espoused by people within it, where people are being duped because of this ideology to believe that capitalism is the only way to organize economic relations, that and the type of social relations that emerge from it are also normal. The types of relations people have with their teachers, with their parents, with in romantic partnerships, like all of these things are going to be characterized, they're going to be colored by the economic conditions that we find ourselves in under a capitalist economy. Now, when Deleuze and Foucault are interested in the way that subjects are able to actually speak against power just by virtue of them speaking, like in the case of Foucault, talking about how subjects within like prisons are able to offer us an anti-penal or an anti-carceral discourse just by virtue of them talking because they're giving us, they're able to provide accounts of the horrors of the prison. When he does this, he is suggesting that there is no false consciousness that ideology would, would create. Instead, there is just any kind of belief can strike against power in any kind of setting. And what this does is it 
really undermines the power of ideology and it undermines the power of the capitalist economy in exploiting people no matter what they really say about it, no matter what they really think about it. So to locate transgressive potential within the utterances of people who have been subjugated is to deny the fact that the exploitation is still going to occur even as these utterances are said. Moreover, it's quite problematic in the way that both Deleuze and Foucault frame the possibility of speech, where for Deleuze, it's like Judge Schroeder, not totally relevant. If you want more on that, go listen to my episodes on anti-Oedipus. But they use Judge Schroeder as someone to convey their theory, to put forward their theory of an anti-Oedipal psychological paradigm, what they regrettably call schizoanalysis. And so in all of this, what they are effectively doing, that is Foucault and Deleuze, are normalizing and rendering transparent their position as simple mediators between the subjugated and the rest of the population, and the powerful even. And they are able to bring those words, they claim to be the ones bringing those words to the people, to make it known how power operates, which is a very noble task, and it's something that Spivak is very happy about. But it falls short when actually accounting for possible transgressive potential because it is only replicating the same system of speaking for others or filtering someone else's speech through these powerful institutions and through these powerful figures. Foucault and Deleuze are among the most elite in that setting in France in the early 70s and all throughout the 60s. Now, of course, Spivak is not concerned so much with imprisoned people in France in the 18th and 17th, 17th centuries. She's interested in people who have experienced colonization all across the world at the time, like in the, in the 70s, like, um, you know, she wasn't, not necessarily for her, but when Deleuze and Foucault were writing, their theory of power and of subjectivity doesn't seem to hold when we account for, when we try to apply it against colonial, colonial regimes and the way that colonization strips people of their ability to actually speak. And it filters the very possibility of speech through a regulatory mechanism that is going to limit, severely limit, what can be said. Which explains, for Spivak, why people like Foucault and Deleuze, when they engage with the quote-unquote other, which is already a romanticized, fantastical figure that complies with various Orientalist themes in a lot of cases, this other is always going to be the people who are the most elite in those settings who have the ability to speak the right language that can be understood by these French mediators, these neutral, objective French mediators who are going to lend credence to the subjective voices of these privileged people in these settings. And the same, it should be said, can certainly apply to Spivak. I've heard a number of criticisms uh, from people to suggest that Spivak herself, being of the upper echelon in her setting, is, is problematic in her characterization, speaking for marginalized people, even within India. Now, in opposition to Deleuze and Foucault, Spivak draws a lot upon the work of Jacques Derrida, which might seem strange. I mean, you know, he's positioned very similarly to the other two. His Algerian background notwithstanding, Derrida presents a way to engage with power without replicating it in the same ways that 
she sees Foucault and Deleuze doing. Because within Derrida's work and within his theory of deconstruction, which I've done an episode on and I've done episodes on his other texts if you want to go check those out, within his theory of deconstruction, he is directly calling out the very dependence of the category of transparency, which is often just embraced uncritically by people like Foucault and Deleuze, according to Spivak. They just embrace this transparent neutral status. Derrida demonstrates the extent to which that that transparent privileged position is dependent upon a hyper-visible other that always comes to haunt that privileged position and to steadily undermine it. But in order for that to do so, for Spivak demands an engagement with these settings, like not as just uh, a site of compliance with basic French norms or values or understanding as far as intellectual pursuits can go. Instead, it demands a more fruitful engagement with these cultures and to embrace them as they are, to open up as much of a possibility for speech as, as possible. Now, Spivak isn't quite as prescriptive as this as I, as I can recall, but in any case, her privileging of Derrida, her appreciation of Derrida, is precisely in opening up this possibility of interrogating the very binary upon which Deleuze and Foucault's theories rest. Now, like, they're clearly, you know, anyone who's read a lot of Foucault and Deleuze would scream that, no, 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 that's not what they're doing, that's not what they're doing. And I would tend to agree. But in any case, I think that her points are extremely valid in that it really draws attention to the subtle ways in which these people, who are quite radical, how their projects can actually come to mirror the very things that they are trying to criticize and how they replicate similar structures when applied against different kinds of oppression that are, by and large, extremely violent, like colonialism, for example, and how their theories don't fully account for that and, in fact, intensify those conflicts in a, in a somewhat discursive way. But yeah, in any case, if there's anything I left out, I'd love to hear about it. Anything I got wrong, I'd really love to hear about it. And yeah, stay tuned. In a few weeks, I'm going to cover that conversation between Foucault and Deleuze in a lot more detail. And then from there, I'll move on to Foucault's lectures at the Collège de France. And it'll be, it'll be a great time. That, I think there's like eight books. Wow. I have so much time. And of course, I can do that. All right. Well, on that note, like, share, subscribe. Catch you next time. Take care.